and Apex Lab Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast, where we speak to the most experienced technology leaders from around the world. So stay with us to learn actionable management insights to take your engineering team to the next level. This show is powered by Apex Lab, a team of experts in end-to-end digital product development. ApexLab.io Today I have Ellen Watkins, CEO and founder of Complete. And before we get into today's topic, I would like to ask Ellen to introduce himself. I'd like to welcome you on the show and I'd like to share with our listeners that we have actually met in person before at the Stretch Conference, which uh, was just organized um, this past year at the end of uh, 2022, where uh, you gave an excellent keynote presentation. So welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast. Thank you, Carolina. It's lovely to be talking to you and uh, hello to everybody that may be listening anywhere around the world. Before we get into today's topic, um, you have written 10 books, but I'm sure there are more that are coming our way. You are CEO of uh, a company. You have given a TED talk. You have several very interesting traits, but I'd like to ask you to please tell us a bit about yourself and um, enlighten those that are, um, might not be as familiar with your work. Okay, thank you. Uh, well, I've been working with leaders around the world for uh, about 25 years, but prior to that, I was a medical doctor for 12 years. So I've been doing the leadership thing twice as long as I was doing the doctor thing. And often people say, well, that's a very dramatic career change. Like, what's, what's the relationship? Uh, and the answer simply is human suffering. So when I was a, a medical doctor and a cardiologist and neuroscientist, you're largely dealing with physical suffering and usually end of life. But now I get the pleasure to work with healthy people, mainly, and of, you know much younger. But it's really about leadership and poor leadership causes suffering to the individual leader, to the leadership team, to the company to the society, to the market. So we're really trying to help leaders in the 100 companies we work with around the world in all sectors and geographies to really function better and to unlock what they're truly capable of. So that's the work we do, and we'll get into some of the details about that, but that's what we're up to. Thank you very much. I think that is um, an amazing call to to make the world a better place and uh, without further ado let's get into today's topic we are going to talk about um, a topic that i think is very close to you and is very close to very many of us in the 21st century managing workplace stress but not in any any way it's uh breathing techniques and um and how to basically overcome our animal instincts when it comes to stress and um, perhaps uh, activating ourselves to to react better to stress. Yes, uh, it's just the world is getting much faster uh, and is beset with many difficult and complex problems. And some of the 10 books I've written are really about how to solve the world's toughest problems. At an individual level, uh, when the world's getting fast, it's very complicated. Many people do experience a sense of overwhelm or stress. And uh, hopefully I've got some good news for everybody that it's entirely possible to retrain yourself, uh, kind of like a personal hack, 
to get into a much better place. And I don't tend to use the word stress so much because it's really lost its utility. It's, uh, there's this lovely phrase that stress is a word that has been worn smooth by a million tongues. You know, hmm. people talk this word a lot and it's kind of almost lost its meaning. So we tend to talk about people being a positive or negative emotional state. So because how people experience stress, sometimes people mean they just feel overwhelmed. Sometimes people mean they're anxious. Sometimes people they mean they're depressed. So regardless of how you experience this excessive pressure in your life, home or work, doesn't really matter. The good news is, is you can learn to be much more resilient. The start point is some breathing and we can talk about that. But really the game changer uh, in this entire journey is, first of all, realizing that if you feel anxious or overwhelmed or stressed or pressured, that it's possible to take back the ownership. Because when somebody feels anxious, it's not like the people around them have injected them with chemicals or given them tablets. We create these emotional states in ourselves in response to what's happening. So if we can accept that simple truth that nobody is doing this to us. I know it feels like, oh, my boss or my partner is stressing me out. It feels like somebody's doing it to you, but the truth is nobody is doing it to you. The real truth is we do it to ourselves in response to what's happening. Now, if we can really understand that and accept that we are the architect of the, the biology and the chemistry that underpins stress or overwhelm or anxiety, if we accept that simple truth that we are the creators of that, then we can change it. If we live our lives believing somebody else is doing it to us, and therefore it's up to that somebody else to make us feel better, our life never improves. So in breaking through this whole kind of problem, the first step is to take ownership. We do it to ourselves. Nobody does it to us. Once we own it, we can change it. If we don't own it, we can't change it. So that simple truth is the most important step to take. I own this. I created this anger. By the way, I also created the happiness. I created the delight. I created the content. All of the emotions any one of us experiences, we, we create all of them ourselves. If, so the skill is really learning to create different responses to the challenging things in our lives. And that's, if I can control my response to difficult circumstances, that means I am response-able right. or responsible, if you will, right? And that's taking responsibility for myself. I am able to control my response. I am response-able. I love that. Thank you so much. I completely agree with you. When you, when you started talking about stress, I immediately thought of a, of a high school class when they defined, you know, there is good stress and then there is bad stress. And um, really, they said, you know, how you live with the stressors in your life really make or break your body and how you respond to something, then it also will change how you feel about it. What I thought of afterwards is that when, you know, when you go on stage, I've had this um, piece of advice with me for quite a few years now. When you go on stage, you can either tell yourself, oh my God, I'm so nervous. 
I'm going to fail. What's going to happen here? I'm going to forget my speech. I don't know what to do. And you can create a lot of bad stress for yourself. But if you just change that phrase to, I am excited. I think this is going to be great. I think I have prepared and uh, made sure that everything is going to be in order for me to have so much fun on stage. Then you are creating somewhat similar physiological responses in your body, like elevated heart rate and uh, maybe different breathing. We will talk about that in a minute. But you are really the master of your own thoughts and your self-talk really is in the midst of how you respond to any kind of stressor. Right. So let's unpack that. You talk about nervous and excited. And a lot of people cannot tell the difference between those two things, uh, partly because biologically they are quite similar. The heart rate might be 110 beats per minute in both examples. So you can't tell the difference based on the heart rate. Um, the level of muscle tension might be quite similar in both cases. So in order to uh, perform well, obviously you want to be excited, not nervous, right? But how you do that is you have to, have to be able to distinguish, well, which one am I really in? And that's point one. Point two is, if I'm in the nervous state, can I move to the excited state? And it's not a big change. But if I don't know what are the characteristics of nervous and what are the characteristics of excited, how do I know which one I'm in uh, and if I have moved at all between one and the other? So in order to get control of these things, you have to study what is nervous and what is excited. Study it not from an intellectual point of view, but from an experiential point of view. So we teach people how to master an individual emotion. So uh, not intellectually, but experientially. So the, the skill is to objectify an emotion. Now, an emotion is normally inside us. It's what you might call a subjective experience. And we are the subject of it. You know, the anger has got me. I'm angry and it's got me. I haven't got it. It's got me. So how you learn to control that is you kind of like cough it up like a cat coughing up a furball and you look at it like, what is this anger thing? And you objectify it and you can describe it, not intellectually or cognitively, but you describe it experientially. So where in my body do I feel anger? How big is that feeling? Does it have a temperature? Does it have a color, a sound, a shape? Does it move up the body? Does it move down the body? Does it radiate off the body? And if you start to describe it and objectify it, it starts to give you control. And if you can describe nervousness to yourself and you can describe anxiety, you start to become aware of what is the difference. Once you understand the difference, it's much easier to move from a state of nervousness to a state of excitement and just telling yourself intellectually I should think more positively will not be enough you have to physically experience the state so it requires you to study both until you've got control of the excitement 
you know what excitement is, you know how different it is, and then you can land on the planet of excitement and operate from there rather than being whipped up on the planet of nervousness. So if there is some, someone listening to us who knows, you know, public speaking is one of the great skills of uh, leadership these days, and perhaps they are feeling nervous before a presentation in a meeting or before speaking to their team about um, some maybe not so great news, what would you what would you advise them to do before the meeting? What are right. some of the tips that we well, could Well, first of all, do they even know that it's nervousness? I mean, mm -hmm. they might be using that label, but how skilled are they at being able to distinguish nervousness from excitement, nervousness from irritation, nervousness from worry, nervousness from anxiety? What is their, what we call their discriminant power? You know, can you tell the difference between nervousness, worry, excitement and anxiety? Now, if you can't tell the difference is you call it nervous, but you're not really sure whether it's nervous or worry, then you need to do some work. You need to study those different emotional states until you can tell the difference. So that's the first thing is you have to kind of start studying these phenomena until you understand what the differences are. Uh, once you understand the differences, that's called emotional literacy, by the way, the ability to discriminate different emotions accurately. That's emotional literacy. There's a second skill, which is emotional self-regulation, which is, okay, I understand I'm feeling nervous. It's not worry. It's not anxiety. It definitely is nervous because I understand what nervous is. Now I am emotionally literate, but can I change how I feel? That's a different skill. Now, the changing how you feel is something that you can practice. The good news is all human beings change how they feel all the time, but they don't do it on purpose. So, you know, I could be sitting in my chair and the sun comes out and suddenly I move to the planet of uplifted, you know, because the sun's out right? or I smell cut grass. And I'm in the, on the planet now of nostalgia because I'm back to my childhood again and the smell of cut grass or a certain cologne or perfume wafts past me at work and I'm suddenly in a different space. So we change emotions all the time. The trouble is we haven't practiced doing that on purpose. So when a bad emotion settles with us, because we've not practiced changing emotions deliberately, we get stuck. And then the emotion starts to become a mood. It's like if you elongate an emotion, it becomes a mood. Okay, so the real skill is starting to cultivate awareness, then cultivate literacy, and then cultivate regulation capability. Can I change how I feel? Can I change the energy in my physiology and my biology? And can I move from the planet of nervous to the planet of excited? And the answer is yes, uh, if you want to. Yeah, if you practice. Really, I, I often say to people, um, it's not, you don't have to, it's not the law that you must feel bad. You know, this isn't a legal requirement of any person in society. You know, uh, oh, I've got to feel bad forever. It's an option, right? Right. And I say you don't have to feel guilty about something you did or didn't do. And they go... Well, I never have to feel guilty again? I said, no, not if you don't no. want to. 
<laughs> you know, they go, is that legal? Is it legal that I don't have to feel guilty? I go, you can feel whatever you want to feel. You can practice these things and you can live and experience your life from the planet of joy or happiness or contentment or exuberance or enthusiasm or any of the 34,000 planets in the universe of emotions. Most human beings don't know more than about 10 of these planets. And that's why they're struggling. They're not, they don't have the literacy, literacy and they can't have the self-regulation because they don't have the literacy. But it's right. entirely possible to develop all these skills and live a, a much more fulfilled and enjoyable life with much less stress, much less overwhelm, much less anxiety. There are a couple things here for me popping up. One of them is um, Sam Harris comes to mind. I don't know if you know him. Yeah, I know Sam. Yeah. Um, and um, one sentence is stuck with me that he says in one of his uh, meditations. He said, um, if you're feeling angry or anxious for an elongated period of time, don't for a second think that you are not manufacturing this emotion for yourself to keep yourself in that mood, as you say. And with that comes my question, or really my one of my, my areas of wonder. How can you show someone who has not been able to see the other side of this, um, of this planet, as you say? Some, sometimes people really have this one or couple ways of reacting to the world around them. You know, like some people, we all have this colleague, you know, in the office who just, you know, gets angry if you talk to him about anything. And, um, and how, so how do you, how do you approach someone, be it your boss or, or be it your coworker, um, who has really a track record of, of just using one emotion or operating on one emotion? What, what would you tell those people? Well, really, uh, Carolina, your responsibility is you, not them. So mm -hmm. let's not worry about that other person. Worry about yourself and how angry or frustrated. By the way, frustration is the commonest emotion in business by four times than any other planet in the universe of emotions, right? So it's very common. And when you're on the planet of frustration, every single second you spend on one of these planets increases the gravity, if you like, the, the magnetic pull of that planet. So if you're on the planet of frustration every day, it is more likely that you're going to stay on that planet because you're increasing the gravitational pull. So we are what we practice. If we practice frustration every day, we get really good at it. <laughs> you know, and we experience it more and more. So the secret is, can I blast off the planet of frustration and maybe go to a, a more helpful planet like the planet of patience? Can I shift? Uh, and sometimes people spend so much time on some of these negative planets, they actually start to believe it's who they are. Their identity becomes that. You know, I am anxious. And I go, no, 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 you're not. That's not who you are. I mean, who you are is a big, complicated, beautiful thing. You're not entirely defined by one word and one planet anxiety. It's just that you're stuck on that planet and you're starting to think you are the planet. That's not true. You're a much more beautiful, complex thing than that. And we have to show you how to get off. Um, and now, 
if it's really bad, you may need medication, right? But actually, I'm more interested in skills, not pills. Learning the skills to get off these planets that are unhelpful to us. Now, it's not that they're wrong. Like sometimes if I'm on the planet of grief because I've lost a loved one, that's an entirely... Or if I feel sad because something's happened, I'm not denying that those things uh, occur and there's nothing wrong with that. But where they become damaging is if you get stuck there. So you've got to acknowledge if I feel frustrated, I'm on the planet of frustrated, but I don't want to stay there too long. I've got to develop the ability to jetpack off that planet to something that's more useful to me in terms of my health and in terms of my performance. So learning to change how I feel is something we weren't really taught at school, but in our business, we do go into schools and we do teach school children and teachers, by the way, how to do this. But we also teach all of our clients because it's a game changer for your health and your performance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I definitely agree. So if somebody's listening to us and they are frustrated with one coworker who is always angry, then the first thing is to say, don't focus on this other coworker, focus on yourself. Yeah. Because that's also what I usually tell people. The only thing that you can change is how you are in the world. Yeah. And, you know, if this coworker has always been angry with you, then maybe it's time for you to change how you approach them and maybe they will respond to you differently. So um, in this journey that we have in, in managing stress at work, for lack of a better word. The first yeah. step is to even notice. So before you even build the literacy, if I'm so obsessed and addicted to my uh, spreadsheet or my email or my social media or my TikTok or whatever, if I'm looking out there, things out there, I don't even notice what's going on in here. Mm -hmm. So the first in the journey of your own transformation is you turn your attention from all of the distracting stuff and the sparkly lights out there is you turn the camera inward and you start to notice what is going on with me. Do I even notice if I'm in a positive or negative? That's step one. Step two is, okay, I think I'm in a negative. Okay, well, there are 17,000 negative planets. Which planet are you on? Do you even know? Is it worry? Is it nervous? Is it anxiety? Uh, can you develop the literacy to discriminate these planets or differentiate these planets? Step two. Step three. Can I now practice moving from one planet to another planet? And that's changing the energy inside your system. So if you train yourself, step one, step two, step three, over time, you develop what we call navigational capability in the universe of emotions. You can move to whichever planet this meeting or this moment requires. Mm -hmm. So you're moving like you would drive a car. You say, yeah. I want to go to Indianapolis and then you take that yeah. road to Indianapolis. Awesome. How does breathing come into play with all of this? Well, the start point, if you look at most of those 17,000 negative emotions, a lot of them are associated with a negative breathing pattern. So if you watch somebody who is anxious, what you often see is rapid, erratic and shallow breathing. Right. Um, so one of my four boys, when they were little, I mean, they're grown up now, but when they were little, uh, my youngest might be nervous or anxious about it. So, dad, dad, oh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh. 
you know, his breathing pattern is all over the place. And so the first thing I taught him to change the energy was breathe. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but yeah, 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 yeah. Breathe. And what I did is I paced his breathing. Now, there are 12 dimensions to the breath you can learn to control. And most people are mistaken that the secret unlock is to take a few deep breaths. You hear people say this, take a few deep breaths before you do your presentation. I say, that's nonsense. That won't help you, right? What you really need is a few rhythmic breaths. Now, a rhythmic breath is a fixed ratio of the in-breath to the out-breath. A deep breath, by the way, is taking the air into your lungs and down to the base of your lungs. That would be a deep breath. And by the way, when people say deep breath, they don't even mean deep. What they really mean is large volume. Long, right. No, no, long is duration, right? That's the duration of your breath. So depth and length and, you know, uh, size of breath, they're all different phenomena. But people are confused about all of this. What I'd say to you is take a rhythmic breath, which means a fixed ratio, uh, a duration, if you like, of in to out. And that could be four seconds in, six seconds out. Four, six, four, six four, six. You fix the ratio. The ratio might be five, 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 five. So it's a rhythmic ratio. Now, when you breathe rhythmically, right, it starts to change the biology of your system. So once you've got rhythm going, you then look at the smoothness of the breath because it's possible to breathe rhythmically, but staccato. I'll see if I can make the noise so it makes sense. You can breathe in a rhythm, but it's like this. Now that's rhythmic, but staccato. And what you really want is smooth. And smooth really is a fixed volume per second. So it's... So it's a smooth, it's like rowing a boat, bringing the blade through the water, nice and smoothly and consistently. So if you breathe rhythmically, and evenly and through the center of your chest. So it's not belly breathing or abdominal breathing. It's imagine you're breathing through the center of your chest or through the heart area. If you do those three things, your biology changes completely and it immediately starts to move you to the more positive side of the universe. So that's what I taught my, my four sons when they were three years old breathe rhythmically evenly and through the heart every day which by the way spells breathe breathe rhythmically evenly and through the heart every day it spells the word breathe to help you remember what you're meant to be doing that would take you to a more positive place and then if you add on top well now i'm at the neutral point of the universe how do i get to the planet of joy or patience or contentment so that's another skill where you have to use that to get to some of the positives, but at least it stops taking you backwards with all this disordered breathing. So as I say, anxiety is rapid, erratic, shallow breathing. We were talking about frustration. If you look at the breathing pattern in frustration, when people are frustrated, and you can watch this in your colleagues at work, what they're actually doing with their breathing is holding their breath. So watch somebody who's feeling frustrated and they keep holding their breath, little breath holds. Oh, 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 how annoying. 
They keep holding their breath. And so what you do is you remove that breathing pattern and you install, breathe. Rhythmically, evenly, through the heart, breathe. Now, when I taught my uh, youngest son that, when he was three years old, and he would come, dad, dad, because he'd had some spat with his brothers. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Breathe. And I used to pace him. So I would put my hand on his heart and get him to breathe. Imagine he's breathing through his hand. And after about a minute of that, and he learned that I wouldn't let him tell me anything until he'd done that. After one minute of that, one of two things would happen, Carolina. Either as his brain turns back on because his biology has improved and suddenly his, his shutdown of his brain because he's angry and frustrated, uh, with the right breathing, the brain turns back on and I go, right, now we've got your breathing settled. What do you want to say? And he would do one of two things. He'd either say, oh, it doesn't matter. And he would go off and play. So he would literally let it go. Or occasionally when it did matter, he'd get a really good explanation out and he would nail his brothers and I'd have to sort them out. <laughs> that's, that's really awesome. Um, you make it even sound like it's quite impossible to be in this, um, in this frustrated, helpless uh, state of mind when you are um, using this uh, smooth breathing technique. With well, the try it, Carolina, try it. So um, it's impossible to play Chopin's piano concerto if you don't have a piano. Right. In the same way, it's impossible to experience anxiety without erratic breathing. So if you remove the erratic breathing and install rhythmic breathing, what you'll discover is the anxiety melts away. And I would encourage you and anybody that's listening to test what I've just said. Next time you feel anxious or frustrated, change your breathing pattern it will be almost impossible to maintain anxiety and frustration whilst breathing rhythmically and evenly and through the heart. You know, you haven't got the anxiety. You've got something else, but it's not anxiety. I hope it's uh, maybe calmness and uh, the ability to think straight. What are some of the mistakes that you have seen with, uh, with the people that you have worked with who try to implement this breathing technique or try to be more literate about their emotional states um, but have, haven't been able to sort it out? Yes, well, it requires you to, you know, study. I mean, it's like anything. It's like, you know, studying anything, you know, engineering, right? Uh, studying code. The more you pay attention, you start to notice more subtle things. So when you first learn to code, right, it all looks like, oh, my God, a scramble of letters and numbers. And, uh, I know. But you just keep paying attention. Eventually, you start to see certain tags and certain phrases. And you start to very quickly know what those mean and how they and how you chain them together and so on. So uh, any topic, you just pay more attention. Just keep paying attention to it you start to develop skill and capability in that topic. And this is true of any phenomena in life, whether it's code, whether it's emotion, whether it's looking at the Mona Lisa. If you keep looking at the Mona Lisa, you start to notice things that the first time you look, you never saw, right? You just keep looking. And so if you just keep looking at the phenomena of emotions and you start studying it, you start to get control of these things just through study. So when people are struggling, to your question, 
Uh, I just encourage them to actually study a bit more, understand the phenomena that you're wrestling with. And if that phenomena is stress or overwhelm, you know, study. But often people need guidance of how to study well, how to understand. And that's what all my books are about is to, you know, all these things I'm telling you about, they're in the books, you can read them. And people can do an awful lot better if they get the right guidance. Now, for example, um, uh, it's about experience of emotion, not about intellect. This isn't positive thinking. Positive thinking will not change your biology very much. This is more positive feeling. It's the energy, it's the experience rather than the intellectual. Con you know, you can have an intellectual comprehension of something, but if you can't change the energy in your body, you've just got a cognitive thing, not an experiential thing. So you've got to attack the area where the problem really is. So one of the ways I explain this to people is use an iceberg. And the, the tip of the iceberg might be the results we want in life. And this might be business performance, commercial performance, sporting performance, academic performance. All of our performance is driven by what we do, our behavior. But our behavior is driven by things you can't see. Our behavior is driven by thinking. So below behavior in the iceberg, you've got thinking. But what's thinking driven by? Thinking is driven by feeling. But what's feeling driven by? Feeling is driven by emotions. But what's emotions driven by? Emotions is driven by biology. So there are multiple levels to the human system. And to really get a control of your whole system, and by the way, very few people have mastered their entire system. Most people don't even have the marginal control over their behavior. They've got no control over their cognition. They've got literally no control over their feeling, their emotion, and their biology. Most people have got no control of any of this stuff, which is why they're helpless victims in the universe of experience, right? But I'm saying you can get total control of all these things. You have to know that these level cognition is not the same thing as feeling and emotions. They're not the same phenomena. So if you start to study these systems, you can get incredible levels of mastery of yourself and that enables you to have much better health and much better performance i love that and i think um a lot of our listeners are probably taking notes right now um while you were uh speaking to me one word one word came to mind and it's it's kind of an overused word in some arenas but i think it's like such a holistic approach like it seems you are taking into account the entire self of the person, not just the biology of the person, but also how the person is feeling from their own perspective, right? It doesn't yeah. matter what my heart rate is. If I feel like I am unable to perform, then it's not the heart rate on its own that is going to change that. And one of my, uh, one of my neuroscience professors came to mind, here's a pin. Uh, and she said, you know, like, you are the master of yourself. And sometimes a little thing can help you change how you are feeling in that very moment. And she said, you know, pick a pencil and put it in your mouth like this. And yeah. those of us not watching, I just put the pencil um, across my mouth. And it makes you um, force a smile on yourself but it's yeah. the same muscles that are working in your face that work when you're smiling so 
it is easier for you to maybe let go of a negative emotion or or um, some sadness that you are experiencing at the moment um, if you just do this little trick. Yeah. And so it sounds to me what you're talking about is mastering all these things separately and then pulling them together for for your own sake or or for for your performance. Yes. Um, could you share a story of a team or a, an individual that could master themselves in a in a workplace kind of situation with the with the breathing technique? I I know this sounds a little off, but um, you know it's always easier to remember these things when you when you can put them into an idea of a situation that uh, you have encountered. We remember stories. Yes, indeed. So um, perhaps one of the greatest workplace experiences I had was in uh, the Olympics in London, you know, my home Olympics uh, in 2012. And um, when I was at medical school, uh, my sport was rowing. And three months before the London Olympics, I was invited to go and speak to the British rowing squad. And I said to them, look, this is my home Olympics. Rowing is my sport. If I'm not working with a client these next three months before the Olympics starts, I will come here for free and help any of you. And one of the athletes um, I worked with was an athlete who had won silver medals, but never a gold medal. And... Um, she was, uh, you know, a brilliant athlete, but she never quite made the number one spot. Now, one of the many things I taught her was how to control her breathing in the way that I just described. So we got that as a, the foundation stone. So if you watch her racing, when all these rowing boats are sat on the start point before the guy says, go, um, they're all sat there. And if you watch what the athletes are doing, a lot of the athletes are in panic mode. Oh, it's the Olympic final. Oh, my goodness. I've been training for four years. Oh, I hope this goes well. <laughs> you know, the breathing pattern is disordered. But if you watch the ones I worked with, you can see they're doing this rhythmic breathing. Very, very laser focused. They're not looking around and worrying about, oh, my goodness, I'm racing against these athletes they look like monsters have you seen how big their muscles are they're not doing that they're focused on their breathing right as a foundation stone and you can see it on the television when you watch the the, the video back very very focused on their breathing now the other thing i taught them is uh, the rowing race is 2000 meters so i taught them to access specific emotions down the whole 2000 meter track because anybody that knows anything about rowing, it's basically pain management. <laughs> that sounds awful. No, it is awful. It is beautiful and awful at the same time. But after 250 meters of this 2,000 meters, you are physically exhausted after 250 meters. After that, it's just pain, right? So you're basically, who can tolerate the pain and maintain a performance in the face of the pain for another 1,750 meters? So one of the ways you do that is what is the emotion you're experiencing at 250, at 500, at 1,000, at 1250, at 1,500, at seven. So I taught these athletes to rehearse specific emotions at different moments in the race. 
The same would be true in business. So, you know, when you're going to give a keynote, what is the emotional state you're in just before you go on? And it might indeed be excitement, right? But once you're on there and you've got excited and you've started going, what's the emotional state you need now? And it might be engaging different emotion entirely. It might be warmth, right? It might be uh, inspirational. I mean, there are 17,000 positive planets. What planet are you speaking from? And so I can train people to access these different spaces or these different planets and do that on demand. So imagine living your life, Carolina, where you can literally turn on the emotion that's optimal or most appropriate for this moment. That is an incredible degree of skill and power, but it's entirely possible to learn to do that. So you basically bring the best version of you to each moment of your life. And what's interesting about that is the best version of Carolina is related to a positive emotion, not a negative emotion. So you may have had days where you were grumpy and irritable. I doubt it, but you know, let's just consider the possibility. <laughs> Um, where you were grumpy and irritable. And then the day after, you go to people and say, oh, I'm sorry about yesterday. I was grumpy. I was irritable. I wasn't myself. Have you ever had that kind of experience where you, you're apologizing for not being yourself yesterday? I don't know what it was. It was that a... We've all... I usually, I usually know by the, same, the, the next day that what... I pictured was causing my um, my grumpiness, but uh, yeah, I I usually never apologize for for I I take ownership of even my grumpy self. Well, you might be going um, in my grumpiness. I may be aware of what caused that, but we often feel not ourselves when we're in the grumpy state. That's when we're in a negative. It's a small, shrunken version of us. But when we're in a loving and compassionate state the more expansive, the higher performing version of us shows up. So interestingly, when you're in positive versus negative emotion, your identity changes. There's a bigger version, more expansive, more loving, kinder, more compassionate version that you can tap into that performs better, that wins the gold medal. And in fact, um, when I work with a British cruise, there are 15 crews and I explained what I wanted to do. And I said, OK, who wants to work with me for three months for free? Uh, seven crews said yes. Eight crews went, ah, uh, we don't think we need this, Alan. Thank you anyway. Of the seven crews I worked with, six of them got medals. Of the eight crews I didn't work with, only three of them got medals. So you can really, even in Olympic athletes or high performing business people, there's always more you can you know, the more expanded, higher performing version of you, you can unlock that. And a big part of that is being able to get this navigational control and operate from the 17,000 planets that you might need to operate from to get the best version of you out and live your best life. So that's some of the stuff that we're teaching business people and athletes. Thank you. I, I think uh, as we are approaching the end of our time, um, I usually just wrap up with a, a little bit of a summary that I gather from our conversation. So for me, the most exciting takeaways are you stop by taking ownership of your emotions and of how you react to your surroundings. 
And no matter what the world is doing, you have to be okay with how you are with those things. So first of all, say, okay, other people are not causing me to be anxious. I am causing me to be anxious by how I respond to those people. And then secondly, we need to be able to understand and feel how we are. Um, and maybe, you know, there are these things when you, when you um, feel anger in your stomach or maybe in your head when you are turning red. Um, so when you, are, when you are kind of noticing these things, then you are increasing your emotional literacy you are understanding yourself better. Um, I have a guest, uh, Michael Lopp, he's been on the show twice, and he's, he usually talks about how one of the most important traits of a great leader is self-awareness. Yes. And I think this ties into yes. really greatly with that uh, testament. So you start understanding yourself better, and um, you start being aware of your emotions, and then you can switch gears and decide for yourself what is the most useful emotion for me in this or that kind of situation. And you start paying attention to that and navigating yourself through um, the universe of emotions, as you said. And parallel to this, breathing is one of the techniques that helps you most importantly, or in, in the easiest kind of way, when you pay attention to your breathing, um, as you said, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, um, it's, it's quite impossible to be anxious without the piano of, of shallow breathing. So, so make sure that you, you pay attention your, to your physiology and to your breathing and, um, I have forgotten the acronym. It spells breathe. Could you tell us? Breathe rhythmically, evenly, and through the heart every day. I love that. Um, thank you. So pay attention to yourself and to your breathing. And, and this, I think, is a full circle when it comes to the ownership of, of your body and your feelings and your emotions and how you react to your surroundings. Because once you are armed with all of these tips and and all of and all of this work that you have done, um, it's going to be, I think, real easy to to choose how you want to be in the world and how you want to react to your surroundings. Do you have anything else to add to our conversation, or something that you think our listeners must know about you, or um, or? this technique of breathing or where they can um, they can research the internet or anything like that. Yes, um, thank you. You must have been operating from the planet of perceptive to have got so much so clearly landed uh, in your own awareness. So really well done. It was a great summary, what you just said. Um, if people want to learn the skills in more detail or reflect on that, they can um, read, you know, Coherence, which is one of the 10 books I've written for dimensional leadership. They can, a lot of the skills, we, we give away the skills in the books. You can go and do that. Um, we've uh, released a, a, an app where people can explore the universe of emotions. 
Um, so it's called the complete app. So if you type out company name, complete coherence on the app store or Google Play, you'll find this sort of C logo in a dark blue background. You can download the app and start to explore. And there's lots of missions and journeys and meditations and guidance and education and podcasts on the app itself and even some games. So that's a resource for people. Um, you can follow me on LinkedIn, you know, personally or the company. And, uh, you know, you can even email me or direct message me. We're very responsive because we're here simply to help human beings become everything they're capable of being. And the good news is we can really transform our lives by becoming a student of how our system really works and getting control of that. And it's starting, it's a daily practice. I even practice today all the things I teach people. Um, you have to practice every day, uh, but really you can get good pretty quickly at some of these things. So there's hope. I'd encourage people to be curious about what they're truly capable of. And trust me when I tell you that I have seen some people completely and utterly change their lives by using some of these simple things. But even if you don't believe me when I say that, you can do the experiment. It's not necessary to believe what I'm telling you for the experiment to work. You can do the experiment with rhythmic breathing yourself and see if your frustration melts away. You can shift the emotion and discover these things for yourself. So I'm just sharing these things with people uh, in the work that we do. So I'd be very happy to hear uh, directly from any listeners if they want us to help their company. You can watch any of the five TED Talks I've done. Uh, there's plenty of stuff of me on, on, on online and the books. Uh, so I really hope this has helped the people who are listening to become the person they're capable of being. I love that. Thank you so much. And while you were speaking to me, I thought to myself, imagine what humanity would be capable of if we've all mastered our emotions and, and how we are in the world. So if somebody's listening to us and they think, oh my God, this is amazing. I hope you will share it with a friend of yours and maybe we can create a better world together. However huge that job sounds. Thank you, Ellen, for joining us today. Um, please, dearest listeners and watchers, if you are using any of these techniques or if you have achieved some great results with these techniques or if you have any questions whatsoever, please reach out to us um, on Twitter, in an email, follow us on any of the aforementioned um, social media platforms. I think it is amazing to hear from people who, who use um, the content you have provided for them. So. So go ahead and give us some feedback if you like this conversation. Thank you, Alan, for joining us today. This was excellent and very informative. Thank you, Karen. It's been an absolute delight talking to you. Thank you, dearest listeners, watchers. I am Carolina Toth. This was the Level Up Engineering Podcast today with another amazing guest, Alan Watkins, founder and CEO of Complete. And we talked about breathing techniques and how to overcome animal instincts that we that we encounter in our daily lives. Thank you, Ellen, and I hope to see you next time. Thank you, Carolina. Thanks for staying with us. This was the Level Up Engineering Podcast by Apex Lab. Check them out at apexlab.io. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel, rate our content, and share your thoughts on this episode. See you next time. See you next time.